Welcome to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. I'm Paul Sweeney, along with my co-host, Bonnie Quinn. Every business day, we bring you interviews from CEOs, market pros, and Bloomberg experts, along with essential market-moving news. Find the Bloomberg Markets Podcast on Apple Podcasts or wherever you listen to podcasts and on Bloomberg.com. Let's get to our next guest now. Phil Orlando is Chief Equity Market Strategist and Head of Client Portfolio Management at Federated Hermes and always has really interesting things to say. Phil, since the last time we spoke with you, I think maybe a couple of structural fragilities have been exposed in this market and also some froth in places, more places now than before. What's your big take on what's going on between the Redditors and the market and the brokerages and the hedge funds? Well, you know, this whole uh, Reddit, GameStop, Robinhood thing is, is, is very interesting and certainly very entertaining. But, but the reality is that, that ultimately fundamentals still matter. You know, I don't know if you stayed up late to watch the Saturday Night Live skit with uh, Kate McKinnon and Pete Davidson, but uh, you know, all kidding aside, that really shone a light on on what ultimately matters longer term. In that, if a company's fundamentals are strong, revenues and earnings will go up, and that will drive share prices higher. If the business is weak, revenues and earnings are going the wrong way, ultimately the share price will decline. Now, there could be noise in the interim, and that's what we're seeing now with with you know the hedge funds and the the reddit people and whatever but but you know um longer term ultimately these companies are going to succeed or fail on the basis of the underlying supply and demand and strength of their business phil i mean you know we've seen these these types of phenomena in the past it kind of you know, a, a term of old day trader, if you will. But I guess what's new here is there's so much liquidity on the sidelines, so much liquidity in the marketplace. You've got the advent of social media and the ability for retailers to kind of really team up, if you will, in a particular security. Um, you've got the pandemic. People are kind of locked in their homes. How much of this is kind of a, a one-off short-term phenomena versus maybe a new wrinkle to the market going forward? Well- Everything you've said is absolutely true that we, you know, the advent of social media, the fact that there's somewhere between four and five trillion dollars of cash sitting on the sidelines. Uh, we're, we're sitting here. Uh, the last uh, personal savings rate we saw was around 13 or 14 percent. So people are flush with cash. Stock market's up. They've got nothing to do. We're locked in our house. We've got a snowstorm here in the Northeast. Um, you know, and, and people are bored and they say, well, let's, let's stick it to the man. Let's, let's take out some of these, you know, wealthy hedge fund guys and team up and drive these stocks higher and force them to cover their shorts. All of that's true. But the reality is where's the end game at, at what point do fundamentals matter and individuals need to sell to lock in their profits or create some additional liquidity. Who are they going to sell to if the fundamentals are poor and everyone who, uh, you know, potentially they would need to buy the stock is already in. Um, so you, you run the risk 
of, of looking at the mirror image of this somewhere down the road. Now, is that is that somewhere down the road tomorrow, next week, next month? From a timing right. standpoint, I have no idea. So, yeah, and, and I suppose that was my original question, Phil. I mean, we have a combination of market maker positioning, you know, hedge fund positioning, retail positioning, so much leverage, technicals, economic risk thanks to COVID. There are so many uh, difficulties out there. What would make you want to trade in this market? Or, or, I mean, would you even want to sort of deleverage a little bit here? Well, you certainly, we're, we're not buying into this. We're, we're, we're not buying these stocks that we think are, you know, have poor fundamentals that are getting driven up because of these market dynamics. Uh, ultimately, we're looking across the proverbial valley and seeing, you know, what could happen on the other side when, uh, when you've got um, some margin calls or when you start to get a tsunami of selling in order to create some liquidity. So we're studying the underlying fundamentals of the market, which, frankly, we think are pretty good. So, so you know, as, if, if there is an air pocket here, if there is a dislocation over the course of the next month or two, and, you know, the market gets slapped around and, and drops by, you know, a, a fairly significant amount, and we still think the fundamentals are good based upon the things that President Biden is doing and the rollout of the vaccine and the fact that the Fed is keeping interest rates at zero, all of those things are the things that truly matter. Um, at that point, the, the decision may be, well, let's, let's throw another log on the fire here, expecting that stock prices will work higher longer term. All right, so let's go to a little bit on the, on the fundamentals here, get away from the Redditors. Earnings were about a third or 40% of the way through. What are you seeing here? Oh, we're seeing a great earnings season. We're, we're as you said, we're about forty percent of the way through. Uh, we are seeing uh, the, the the consensus expectation going into the quarter was that earnings would be down something in the order of about nine or ten percent on a year-over-year basis. So far, earnings are up three percent. Um, Eighty-one percent of the companies that have already reported have beaten by an average of seventeen and a half percent. That is the third best beat rate in history, trailing only the second quarter and the third quarter of last year. So the earnings are coming in strong. Uh, again, the, the, the vaccine's rolling out, the Fed's staying at zero. All of that suggests that the underlying fundamentals for the market, the stuff that truly matters, is in pretty good shape. Hey, Phil, thanks. As always, we always appreciate getting your bullish call on the market. You've been absolutely spot on. Uh, so we'll see how the rest of these uh, earnings come through this quarter. Phil Orlando, Chief Equity Market Strategist and Head of Client Portfolio Management at Federated Hermes. Uh, they are based, uh, he is based in New York City. They had $80 billion in equities uh, under management, $615 billion firm-wide. So uh, Federated Hermes uh, all over the market. And Phil certainly has a great handle on the market. And again, as I said, he's been consistently uh, bullish, you know, over the last couple of years, and he's been absolutely spot on. Well, the trading activity we've seen in a handful of stocks starting last week with GameStop, uh, GameStop and then expanding to others really highlighted a trading strategy of looking for stocks, relatively small to mid-cap stocks with big short interest and jumping in on those and creating a good old-fashioned short squeeze. One of the folks that's involved in, in just kind of the whole process of the data around short interest is Bob Sloan, founder and managing partner of S3 Partners. Uh, S3 Partners uh, 
finance company that provides data analytics. Its most used product is Black App. It's the market standard for real-time short interest and securities finance for about 40,000 securities. So uh, clearly uh, on top of that short interest data. Bob, uh, thanks so much for joining us here. What did what did you make of last week? Your company and you, you've been involved in the this we may have lost Paul in the blizzard. He's gone out to make a snowman. But, uh, Bob, the general point is well taken. So what did you make of last week? Well, we were seeing the markets change right in front of our eyes. There's a new socially mobilized force in investing. And it has uh, taken to targeting uh, short sellers as its investment strategy and uh, opportunity for the time being. How many times can this happen? So for example, this week it seems to be silver, but it's a whole different ball game taking on something like silver than taking on a stock like GameStop. I think what we're seeing is an, just an attack on institutions generally. Um, that's you know one of the things I wrote in the piece um, that I put up on, um, uh, on, on, on our website is that you know, the, the, the attack on the capital, um, you're seeing an attack on financial institutions. It's just an attack on institutions generally. And this has become the nexus of Reddit combined with socially scaled activist investing has become an attack on institutions. And this is why they love Elon Musk so much. You know, he's like, how can they love a billionaire? Because he took on the short sellers and won. It's, it's that simple. For now, at least, I mean, you know, th these stories are never over until they're over, but they, they also embrace a, lo a lot of people that sort of say the right thing, but aren't necessarily doing the right thing. I mean, um, you know, he took, he may have taken on the short sellers, but in their own way, the short sellers can flush out things like fraud and, you know, wrong valuations and stuff on Wall Street. So why are short sellers yep. in particular the, 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 the bad guy? I don't think that they are. I, know I obviously have a very long history of understanding and defending the right to have negative views expressed in the marketplace. There's no marketplace unless there's two-way price discovery, meaning, you know, it can't just be all up. It's like having a democracy where you can only vote yes. That's not a society, right? You have to be able to vote no, too. And so I think when you see these things like on Meet the Press yesterday where Chuck Dodd is asking, you know, people from the White House, should short selling be banned? You know, that's just kind of stupid. That's just not how markets work. Uh, we need short selling and we need that function to be in the marketplace because otherwise, when we want to get our money, when we want our money, it's not going to be there. And that's really vitally but, important. Bob, you, you said a few minutes ago that this is a populist revolution in financial markets. And indeed, if you look at some of the language, you know, that's obviously what, what the, 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 some of the characteristics of this, this sort of quote-unquote revolution are. But if it was a real revolution, wouldn't these people be, be targeting long positions just as much as short positions? Well, you know, I, you know, I, I think that um, the revolution is in the use of the technology, and it's made them an activist investor. So typically an activist would show up to a company and say, you know, I own 6% of the shares. And, you know, these are the things I'd like the company to go do. And the company would either adopt a strategy not to do that, or they generally would say, okay, you know, let's, let's fire people. And this is something much more basic. It's 
hey, I like the popcorn at AMC. You know, I like my flip phone. I like talking to my person at GameStop. It's much more about a cultural thing. And it just so happens to be these stocks are all more or less in one sector, consumer and retail. And so this is why it's happening, um, this cross-current between socially mobilized investing and short interest in this area. Bob, are you surprised that uh, some big hedge funds really, really got hurt here? Um, name me a risk model from the Federal Reserve to any hedge fund in the world that saw this as a risk. Yeah, that's no a good did. point. No one so did. What do you- what do you think is next here, Bob? Are we going to see more of this going forward, this uh, combination of social media and, and, and trading activity? It's a really, it's a really sticky question because the, the little person, as it were, and they're not little people, and that's not, you know, I'm just saying the smaller yep. investor. Retail, mm. yep. Is, yeah, retail is now empowered with something massively potent. And so how do you regulate that? That is the $64,000 question. Yeah, this, of course, as we just get news that uh, Robinhood had to uh, recapitalize itself once again, according to Dow Jones. It's taken another more than $2 billion, $2.4 billion from shareholders to satisfy its clearing requirements. Yeah, Avani, so that's a great point. You know, one of the things that should be examined here is what happened with that company in terms of how they were handling margin, what were the risk parameters that they had in place. Um, as this flow is happening. Yeah. So that's certainly an area of, you know, rightful scrutiny. Bob, you're going to have to promise to come on again very soon because we want to keep our eye on this story, uh, or it'll keep its eye on us uh, for sure. Bob Sloan is founder and managing partner at S3 Partners. And it was interesting uh, listening to Bob Sloan just about, you know, short selling being a part of the market, Avani. And I think that's, uh, I think what most people tend to conclude, uh, you know, as they think about short selling. We seem to have this discussion about short selling every five or six years or so and whether it should be uh, allowed in the marketplace. And I think where we always come down as a marketplace is uh, it is a normal part of a healthy I mean, market, although sometimes it can I be. I always thought the short sellers were the black sheep of the market. So yeah. for the, the populace to jump on the short sellers, is, it's, it's a little ironic. I mean, I That's think it right. has something to do with GME as well. Yeah, we'll have more on that coming up. This is Bloomberg. Well, today is the first day of Black History Month. As the country continues to struggle with how to address racial inequality, our next guest can discuss how individuals can support racial diversity with their investments. Joining us now is Marvin Owens. He's a chief engagement officer at Impact Shares and a former senior director of economic development at the NAACP. Marvin, thanks so much for joining us here. I'd love to start out with just getting a description of what Impact Shares does. Hey, thanks for having me. It's good to be here. Uh, Impact Shares it's, uh, is a the first of its kind nonprofit fund manager that really focuses on how you connect capital with uh, social causes. Uh, we're an engagement for we're an engagement platform where investors and corporations and advocacy organizations can come together um, to use capital to move the needle on social issues. So, in the case of um, our current pla- our current platform, we have. Of course, our NACP fund, uh, which is the advocacy organization, is the NAACP. We have the WOMN fund, which is focused on gender equity. Uh, is uh, advocacy organization is the YWCA, and we're working with the UN on uh, the, our fund SDGA, which focuses on sustainable development goals. All of which are our uh, platforms that create an opportunity to kind of really move the needle on social issues and using capital to really make that happen. 
which is fantastic. Let's start with NACP, which is the Impact Shares NAACP Minority Empowerment ETF. Right now you have 174 holdings in there and the top one is Apple followed by Microsoft. What can you do in order to pressure Apple, Microsoft and the other major companies like that that are, you know, just one one seventy fourth of the ETF to make some positive changes? Well, here's the thing. I think that in the in the current environment in which there are a number of companies that have come out and made some very explicit statements about standing against racial discrimination and wanting to really engage in change, um, we now have uh, this ETF, which is another tool to really incent those kinds of changes. I mean, uh, this is really not just driven by the advocacy community, but it really is being driven by the investor community as well. Um, investors really do want to see companies um, truly engaged in the kind of social issues that are reflective of, of society, what's in society's best interest. So when it comes to racial equity, um, now it's not just the advocacy community kind of voicing these concerns, but now it's also the investor communities pushing for these changes, which I think is going to help uh, these corporations to move the needle. Marvin, the pandemic and the economic fallout um, has really shown, I guess, a brighter light, if you will, on the economic disparity in this country. Um, how are you kind of viewing that? How much of this potential damage to some of these minority communities might be a little bit more permanent than uh, temporary as it relates to the pandemic? Yeah, we're really concerned about that. You know, in the middle of this pandemic, black workers have really been impacted disproportionately, just like black workers have been impacted by um, the infections of the disease itself. I think it's important to note that black workers have lost uh, a disproportionate amount of jobs as well. And so we are concerned about that because you add this COVID reality to an already widening wealth gap and, and, and wage gap that exists in this country, and you have the makings for something that is more devastating and hopefully not permanent. But I think there's some things we can do to, make, to change that, which means we really need to look at legislation that really understands what these issues are all about and really moves the needle on making sure that we close some of these gaps. I think there's a lot we can do together, I mean, and I'm encouraged by uh, the current administration, which is uh, making all the all the right moves and saying the right things. We just need to make sure that we are able to push to make sure the changes are really implemented policy-wise. Right, exactly. How, you know, what do you like about the Biden racial equity plan, let's say, Marvin? I mean, what, what are the parts that we really need to make sure come to fruition? Well, I think, um, first of all, you have to just kind of, just kind of, Give them some some uh, some recognition for being able to even use the words like white supremacy, which I don't think any other American president has really used in, a, in an in an inauguration speech, which says a lot. But I also think we've got to move the needle on making sure that these uh, these policies are really focused on how do we um, really tap into the needs of, of black business owners. Um, I like what they're what they're saying in terms of really wanting to um, target. Uh, communities of color and making sure that we're talking about racial equity in terms of policy. But we've also got to make sure that um, that we're utilizing black fund managers, that we're, we're utilizing black asset managers. We're looking at how to make sure that we are using minority depository institutions when we roll out these um, the new COVID packages and, and the COVID relief bills that are coming out. There's a lot we can do to make sure that we are really impacting the communities that need the help. Um, and I'm encouraged by what the Biden, what the Biden administration is saying. I just need to, we just need to, need to make sure they are really following through on on their promises. Marvin, if you know our listeners want to maybe incorporate 
uh, equality issues into their investing? What's the best way to do it? Is it to kind of look at the ESG scores and things like that? Yeah, it's been really important for us to be able to talk about um, companies that are that are really in our index. And I think that as you look at companies, not just in terms of their returns, but also in terms of what they're how they're engaging in the broader society, it's important to make sure that the investor community is looking at all of this. And I think that um, you can go to our website, uh, impactetfs.org, and you can look at how, uh, our holdings. But I think an important thing to do is to make sure that our these companies are not just they're not just uh, performing well, but they're also doing what they what they should do around these social issues. The truth of the matter is diversity helps with business. I think more diverse companies uh, tend to be better better operators, tend to be uh, more profitable, tend to be folks who do the right thing in, in larger ways. So. Um, look at our go to our website and you can check it out. Marvin, thank you for joining us today. Marvin Owens Jr. is Chief Engagement Officer at Impact Shares, former Senior Director of Economic Development at the NAACP. Green on the screen today, and it looks like the Reddit traders, they've, they've expanded the scope of their buying, moving on from individual equities to commodities such as silver. That silver is up about 8% today, trading just below $30 an ounce. Let's get a sense of what's going on across markets. We talked to Katie Greifeld, cross-asset reporter for Bloomberg News, joining us on the phone uh, from New York. Mike McGlone, commodity strategist for Bloomberg Intelligence. He follows uh, the silver market closely. Katie, give us a sense of kind of what you're seeing in the market here. I'm looking at some of those uh, Reddit stocks from last week, some divergent performance there. Yeah, today's an interesting dynamic where you have the broad indexes at least up so far, about an hour into trading, but you're also seeing some of those Reddit uh, favorites, like you say, they're higher too. You have AMC higher, for example, even as GameStop takes a bit of a pause. But if you look at what is moving the broader indexes, I mean, it helps that you have Tesla, Amazon, Apple, all higher today. That's dragging those benchmarks up. And it might be helping that if you look at the new short interest stats out of uh, partners such as S3 Partners and IHS Market, you you can see that short interest on GameStop has actually dropped a bit. It's still relatively high. It's about 39% going by IHS's numbers, but that was theorized to have created a sort of degrossing hedge funds having to take down risk and bleeding into the broader markets. It appears that that may be easing now. Mike, what can happen in the silver market? I mean, it's, it's a bit more complicated and there are various ways of trading it. And also there's various ways of market making in it that aren't the same as an individual stock. What are these Redditors getting into and, and how are they playing this particular trade? Well, hello, Vani. I'm hearing they're buying a lot of calls, most notably out of money calls. But if the narrative plays out, as Paul and I know and from BI, a lot of us are ex-traders. As an ex-trader, I will tell them what will probably happen is their calls will expire close to near worthless, and then the market will go up because this is a fundamentally bullish market that's very deep. So there's a, there's a Bloomberg terminal um, index that I like. It's the total holdings of silver ETFs. That's at $24 billion. And then you look at open interest in futures. That's just silver futures. That's $26 billion. So that's just $50 billion right there. And it doesn't even include the physical or um, a lot of what other trading. So it's a massive market. The difference is this case is they just added a little bit of a narrative to an already fundamentally bullish market. And, uh, you know, it's helping it for now. But good luck with you buy calls because a lot of times that's just a good way to mess up a good trade. <laughs> so it, it, what is the fundamental call on 
silver, Mike, aside from this uh, short-term Reddit uh, interest? I look at it as the most likely, um, most likely metal to match or to get to near to make new highs maybe this year, just doing what gold did. So that all-time high for silver is around 50. Yes, it's kind of far right now, but gold did that last year. It got up to over $2,000, and there's this gold-silver ratio. That silver's a little bit low versus a 20-year average right now, but to me, it's just a matter of time it gets there. It's just a question of how it does it. It might not happen this year, but fundamentally, it's very strong. Just look at the supply has been declining. Most most notably of South America. Now, of course, COVID helped reduce supply, but the big picture is prices have been in a, in a bear market for so long, so it hasn't been a lot of incentive to bring on new supply. And then we have this massive trend in electrification and decarbonization. All that means, a lot of it is demand for metals, demand for silver, and not, you know, and it's creating um, less, less demand for energy and fossil fuels. Yeah. Katie, have you been on the Reddit boards today? Are uh, traders uh, there, those kinds of traders, saying that, um, you know, they're done with GameStop? Does GameStop even come up this week? That's going to be interesting. I mean, there's also the the nuance that if you look at Robinhood, for example, there's still trading restrictions on eight stocks. In GameStop, for example, you can only buy one share at a time right now. So that has kind of the uh, the mania around GameStop. I mean, if you spend time on Wall Street bets, it's interesting. You are seeing sort of fissures emerge among the crowds as they latch onto this silver trade. Some are pointing out that if you look at the SLV ETF, uh, which is, it seems that retail traders have been getting their exposure to silver through ETFs like that, Citadel is the sixth largest holder there. So that seems to be occupying the board right now just this debate over what are we doing when it comes to the silver trade. Katie, what's the latest on Robinhood and the other platforms getting pushback from kind of how they handle things last week? Well, it's, it's difficult. I mean, a lot of the heat has come down on Robinhood, but you know, when this started on Thursday, it was a, it was a wide range of, of these retail platforms. Of course, the likes of interactive broker have resolved those issues. Robinhood continues to be a question mark. As we know by now, they they raised about $1.5 billion in additional capital. It's going to be interesting to see whether, uh, you know, as the likes of AMC continue to rally, GameStop is cooling a bit, whether they run into the same sorts of issues that they ran into last week with the clearinghouses. All right, you two, thank you so much for keeping us up to date with what's happening this morning, this Monday morning. That is Katie Greifelt and Mike McGlone, Mike with Bloomberg Intelligence and Katie with Bloomberg Editorial. And we'll continue to follow what happens throughout the day with the meme stocks and silver in particular. Thanks for listening to the Bloomberg Markets Podcast. You can subscribe and listen to interviews at Apple Podcasts or whatever podcast platform you prefer. I'm Bonnie Quinn. I'm on Twitter at Bonnie Quinn. And I'm Paul Sweeney. I'm on Twitter at PT Sweeney. Before the podcast, you can always catch us worldwide at Bloomberg Radio.